0: Y'all. How are you doing? Good. Yeah, it's been a pretty good night so far. Um, but I gotta take it back to dinner for a minute. I know that Matt mentioned Bojangles, but anybody else love Bojangles for dinner? Anyone? A few of you. Okay. Did nobody else grow up on Bojangles like I did? Anyone? No, man. That is a bummer. So where I where I grew up. Bojangles were like how churches are in Atlanta, like actual church buildings, like how there's a church on every street corner. I feel like there's so many churches in Atlanta. That's how Bojangles were in the town that I grew up in. Like there are three or four in the town that I lived in. I ate it all the time. Like in my mind, Bojangles is better than Chick-fil-A. It's incredible. I know. I knew that was going to happen. Okay. No, I'm telling you, Guys, their, their Cajun fries and their chicken and their Bowberry biscuits. Has anybody ever had a Bojangles Bowberry biscuit? Yes. Man, y'all are crazy. You need to drive to a physical Bojangles and go get you a four-piece chicken supreme combo. It's amazing. You're gonna love it. When I first moved to Atlanta... I realized that Bojangles were a scarcity around here, and so I looked one up to drive to it, and it was like 25 minutes away, but I really needed my Bojangles fixed, so I was like, I'm doing it, I'm driving 25 minutes to Bojangles, and I got there, and it was an empty lot, I don't know, I guess it had gotten torn down, because nobody in Atlanta likes Bojangles like we do in South Carolina and North Carolina, but... Whatever. Hey, if we haven't met before, my name is Beth, and I'm on staff here at The Living Room, and I'm really excited for tonight. We are kicking off a brand new series called Big Little Lies, where we are talking about insecurities, some insecurities that I face, insecurities um, that you face, that, that all of us face. And we called this series Big Little Lies for two reasons. And one is because the insecurities that we have in our lives, they feel really, really big. The insecurities that cause us to isolate, that cause us shame, that cause us to hold back from opportunities, they're they're really big. And often insecurities seem to be the biggest and the loudest voice in our lives. Um, but then on the other side of that, when we begin to measure that up to what God has to say, insecurities tend to get smaller. They begin to feel even little. And in fact, when we you know, measure up what God has to say about us and about insecurities, we begin to realize that insecurities are actually just lies that should have no voice and no say in our lives at all. So it doesn't really matter what you believe or don't believe. It doesn't matter where you came from or how you grew up. If you are a living, breathing human being, the reality is that you have insecurities. It just seems to be a part of being human. We all have insecurities. And I don't know about you, but I can remember around the time in my life when I began to realize that I had insecurities, or insecurities began to get real. And for me, and probably for you, it was around middle school. Because let's just be real, middle school is awkward for everyone. There's just no getting around it at all. In middle school, I was um, very, very tall and very lanky, but I hadn't quite figured out how my limbs worked yet, so it was just not graceful at all. It was super awkward. I also um, was just kind of starting to figure out how to do my hair, and so I got um, bangs, but they would always part down the middle, so I had like the butt part bang, which was awesome. It looked real good. Um, So I had a lot going on uh, to be insecure about when it came to my looks, but I distinctly remember the very first time that I actually became aware of being insecure. And it had to do with something that my brother said to me. I don't know where this came up in conversation, how we got there, where it came up. But I remember being at home, and my brother told me that I had football player legs. And I I don't even know what that means. Like, like in my mind, even now, I'm like, is there anything distinct about football players' legs? Like, I really don't think that there is. But at the time, I was like, that does not feel like a compliment. Like, oh, thank you. Yes, I do have It was more like, oh, what? No. And in my mind, it meant that my legs were like really stocky or like too muscular or just like really ugly. And so it was like ingrained in my head. And to this day, I can't believe I'm telling you guys this because it's kind of embarrassing and super weird, but vulnerable. To this day, for some reason... That translated into, like, stocky legs, which made me think that I had cankles or, like, really big ankles. And so... Even now, if I put on an outfit or shoes that I think make my ankles look big, I will change. Like, it's like, and now you're looking at my ankles. This girl is like, stop. I'm going to just like hide behind the chair the whole time. It is so dumb and so weird, but it's like ingrained in my head. And I'm like, he stood up. Are you kidding? <laughs> I'll just show, I'll show you my football player ankles. There they are. I still don't know what it means. It is ingrained in my head. I have told my brother that he has ruined me. And he's like, I don't even remember saying it. And I'm like, it sticks. But I remember, I remember him saying it. And it has been this really dumb, weird insecurity that has just carried over into the rest of my life. And I can look back and laugh now and I can laugh at middle school. And you can probably look back and laugh at middle school. But also probably the reality for most of us is We obviously made it out of middle school, and then we got to high school, and you finally made it out of high school, and you got to college. But the insecurities that began to form when you were in middle school, those seemed to stick with you. Those stayed. But it's not just physical insecurities. There's a lot of other insecurities. It can be around your academics. There's social insecurities. There is insecurities around your identity, your family, what you're going to do with your life. There are a lot of insecurities that We're all caring that we're all facing. In college, these years of college are supposed to be the best years of your life. And not just because they're supposed to be super fun and you make a lot of memories and it's finally the first time that you are out of your parents' house and actually on your own. It's also some of the best, if not the greatest years of self-discovery, It's when you're starting to figure out what you're passionate about. It's when you're figuring out the things that you like, the things that seem to make you come alive. It's when you're maybe starting to figure out what God is calling you to, or when you're figuring out how you are wired and why you're wired that way. It's when you're taking risks. It's when you're putting yourself out there. It's when you're saying yes to opportunities. It's when you're beginning to really, really start to figure things out. But in the midst of all of that, our insecurities begin to be these big little lies that do nothing but cause us to hold back, step back, and shrink back. It just causes us to hold back, to shrink back, and to step back. They, they cause us to hold back from more. Our insecurities begin to cause us to hold back from maybe the potential of what we could be or what we want to be or what we hope to be. Our insecurities, they begin to cause us to, to shrink back and to step back, that instead of putting ourselves out there, instead of taking steps forward, instead of trying new things, our insecurities actually tell us that we're not good enough and that we're not capable, and so we shrink back and we step back and we hide and we isolate and we maybe live in a little bit of shame. And so before we know it, These years that are supposed to be the best years of our lives, these years that are supposed to be years of self-discovery actually end up turning into years of self-sabotage, where they begin to be these years where we actually end up settling for mediocrity, because settling it feels a little bit easier, it maybe feels a little bit safer, it's not so scary, or maybe it's just because you don't know what else to do. And I'm just telling you that I think that settling breaks the heart of your heavenly father. Because, man, I think that God wants so much more for you. The reality is this, is that God wants to do an extraordinary work in and through you. God does. God wants to do an extraordinary work in and through you. But, but for a lot of you, you don't feel like you're extraordinary, Maybe you actually feel like you're just walking around without a lot of purpose. You're walking around without a lot of meaning. It doesn't feel like you're extraordinary. It doesn't feel like God wants to do something incredible through you. I mean, we talk a lot in church about the reality that that Jesus has saved us from our sin, and that's true. He has. Jesus has saved us from our sin. But when's the last time that you ever stopped and thought about what Jesus has saved you for? Because this is another reality that Jesus has saved you from your sin and for a purpose. That it's true that God sent Jesus to die on a cross to save you and to save me from our sin, but, but Jesus has also saved us for a purpose. And I think a lot of Christians grasp onto the first part that Jesus has saved us from our sin, but they just kind of sit around waiting for heaven and miss the fact that Jesus has also saved them for a purpose right here and right now to do something extraordinary and incredible. And Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 2. He says this, he says, "'For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast.'" For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So you have been saved from your sin and for good works. You have been saved to do something incredible. God wants to do something extraordinary through each and every single one of us. He has a purpose for your life. He has something that he wants to do in and through you but the very same thing that God wants to use to do something extraordinary and incredible is the same thing that often ends up getting in the way of doing something extraordinary and incredible. You and me. We actually end up being the ones who get in the way of the incredible and extraordinary work that God wants to do. We let our insecurities tell us that we're not good enough. We let our insecurities tell us we're not capable. We let the lies that we tell ourselves speak louder than what God has to say. And we end up getting in the way of the extraordinary and incredible work that God wants to do. But this isn't something that's just unique to us in this room. This is actually something that has been happening since the very beginning of the existence of humans, and it's actually something that we see in Scripture all of the time. And so tonight, I want us to look at the story of a guy named Moses. And Moses was a guy who had a lot of insecurities just like us. And there's a chance that you have heard the story of Moses before or know about Moses, but just for a little bit of context, um, the Israelites are enslaved in Egypt, And God is not happy about it at all. And so he has a plan to do something about it. And his plan involves this guy named Moses. And Moses is a shepherd and he is out tending to his sheep. And he notices that there is a bush that is on fire, but the bush itself isn't burning up. There's just a fire around it. And so he walks over to go check it out. And as he is standing there, he realizes that it is a message from God to him, which is super weird, but that is what is happening. That's what's taking place in this moment. And so God and Moses begin this conversation. So as the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. And then he tells Moses this. He says, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So there's something that is breaking God's hearts. The Israelites are enslaved. He's not happy about it. And he's telling Moses, hey, you're my guy. I'm sending you. You're part of the plan. I'm going to use you to go to Pharaoh, who, by the way, is the most powerful man in the world at the time. And I'm going to use you to go to him and to tell them, hey, I, uh, I need you to let God's people go. Moses is the guy, you're the one that is going to do this. But Moses can't comprehend that God would be asking him. So this is how Moses replies. He says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? And so Moses immediately begins to reply out of insecurity. Moses has to be thinking, God, God, do you know Who I am. We know that Moses has a speech impediment, so he's got to be thinking, I don't even know that I can stand before Pharaoh and declare to him to let these people go. And God, do you know who Pharaoh is? He is the most powerful man in the world. I can't go and do this. And God, do you know how many Israelites there are enslaved in Egypt? There's over 600,000 of them. I don't have any leadership skills at all. I can't lead these people out of Egypt. Moses is talking to God and he's saying, hey, I can't do this. You have the wrong guy. I don't have the capability. I don't have the skills. I don't have the talents. I can't make this happen all. You've got to find someone else. And then I love what God says to Moses. He, He speaks to Moses and he tells him this. He says, Moses, you can do this, buddy. Just believe in yourself. I'm kidding. It doesn't say that at all. Some of you are like, wait, what? I have never read that in scripture. No, it's, it's not in there. It's not in there at all. That's not, that isn't what God says to Moses at all. In fact, what God says to Moses is the complete opposite. This is what he says to him. He says, I will be with you. And I do love this response. Because what God is doing is he is forcing Moses to, to take his his sight off of himself and to put it on to something else. And initially, Moses is taking the weight of what God is asking him to do, and he is putting the success of the journey on his shoulders and his shoulders alone. And God is telling him, hey, I actually want you to put that focus somewhere else. And what God is saying to Moses, he's saying, hey, Moses, I know you can't. I know that Pharaoh is the most powerful man in the world. Moses, I know that you don't necessarily have the skills necessary right now. Hey, Moses, I know that you are afraid. Hey, Moses, I know that you can't, but that's okay because I am going to be with you. And you, Moses, I am the one that you can rely on because I am going to be with you the entire time. But Moses, we know, he was just so focused on himself and his insecurity. He couldn't see the fact that God would have had a plan for how this is going to work because Moses is relying solely on his skills and his talents. And the lesson that we learn from Moses is true for all of us, that security in you breeds insecurity. Then initially, when God asks Moses to go on this journey and to lead the Israelites out of slavery, Moses is completely focused on himself, and it breeds a lot of insecurity in Moses, which makes a lot of sense. Because if your confidence is just in you and you alone, the minute that you encounter something that you feel like you can't do, of course you're going to become insecure. If your confidence and your security is based solely on your ability, solely on your skills, solely on your talents alone, the minute that you bump up against who you currently are and who you feel like you could be or what God has called you to do, and it feels like there's a really big gap in between, of course you are going to become insecure because security in you and in you alone breeds insecurity. And Moses is still functioning out of this insecurity in his conversation with God. And so he asks God one more question. He says this, he says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And it seems like a really weird question. It's almost like Moses is just trying to come up with an excuse for why he can't go. It's like, okay, God, but like if I go and they're like, who sent you? And he's like, God. And they're like, oh, but like who is he? He's like, I don't really know. He's like, can't do it, God, can't go. Don't know who you are. Like, don't know your name. Seems weird. But it's actually not weird at all. Because at the time, every single name would have had significance, it would have had a meaning, there would have been a reason for someone's name. And so really what Moses is asking God is he's saying, okay, God, you told me that you're going to be with me, but who are you? What does your name really mean? And in our current American culture, this isn't as typical anymore to name children out of significance or reason or meaning. It happens sometimes with names being passed down um, or we do sometimes name children just based off the meaning of the name, but typically we just name people based off names we like. But that wouldn't have been the case in this time. Every single person, their name would have had significance. Their name would have had meaning. There would have been a reason behind why they were named what they were named. And so this is what God tells Moses. So God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And if you've grown up, In church at all, maybe you have heard God referred to as, I am. But what does that really mean? What it means is that when God was answering this question for Moses, he would have known that Moses originally asked this question out of his own insecurity. Out of not knowing if he could do what God had asked him to do. And so God's response to Moses was making it really clear just how big God was. And so God's response to Moses was telling Moses, hey, I am who I have always been. Hey, I am who I will always be. I am who I am. I am a God who is holy, a God who is powerful, a God who is faithful. Moses, I am a God who keeps his promises, and I have promised you that I am going to be with you. So Moses, I am somebody that you can count on because here's the reality of God, that when we waver, he doesn't, and when we fail, he doesn't, and when we get tired, God doesn't, and whatever we need, God has it, whatever we are lacking, God has it, whatever we don't have, God has In a world that feels like it is constantly changing, God never does. And in a world where it feels like there isn't a lot that we can rely on, not a lot that we can trust, God is the one that's saying, hey, I am who I have always been, who I will always will be, and I am faithful, and I keep my promises, and you can rely on me. And so there's so much packed into that statement of, hey, Moses, tell them that it was I am who has sent you. And that's what Moses did. He went to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, and he said, hey, I am has sent me to tell you to let his people go. And Pharaoh did. And Moses led the exodus out of Egypt of over 600,000 Israelites. And he did it all with I am as the wind in his sails through the entire thing. And so really what Moses discovered that is true for every single one of us is that God is more concerned with your availability than your capability. Because God never even asked Moses about his skills or his talents because, Moses, because God wasn't concerned about Moses' skills or talents at all. What God was concerned about was whether or not Moses was going to say yes to what God had asked him to do. And Moses had a lot of reasons to say no. He was afraid. He didn't have the skill set. He didn't feel like he had the capability. He didn't feel like he had the capacity. He didn't feel like he could do it. But instead, Moses chose to say yes. And he was able to do exactly what God had called him to. Because what Moses found, I think every single one of us would find if we leaned into what Moses leaned into. And it's the reality that knowing I am changes who I am. Knowing I am, knowing the God of the universe, it changes who we are. It changes everything about our lives. Because knowing I am, it changes our perspective. It changes our, it changes our perspective on failure. Knowing I am, it makes us bold, it makes us courageous, it allows us to do things that we would never do, it allows us to step into things that we wouldn't have stepped into before because our confidence is no longer found in our skills, in our abilities, in what we can do and what we can't do. Our confidence is found in knowing that the God of the universe, I am, has promised that he is going to be with us every single step of the way and that he doesn't fail and that he doesn't waver that he doesn't get tired and that he has everything that we could ever need. And so as we close, I just want to ask you one question. Just one question. What would you do if you were confident that God was with you? Think about it. What would you do if you knew that I am The God of the universe was with you. What would you do? Where would you go? Who would you choose to invest in? What would you try for the first time? What would you have the courage to finally give up? What is it? What would you do if you knew that I am the God of the universe who doesn't fail, who doesn't waver? who doesn't get tired, who has everything that you need, what would you do if you were confident that he was always with you? My guess is that every single one of us, we would do a whole lot. So go and do it. Because I am, the God of the universe has promised that he will be with you every single step of the way. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, um, God, we, we thank you that your promises are true. God, we thank you for the reality that you are I am. God, that you are who you say you are, that you are who you have always been, and that that is who you always will be, that you are a God who is faithful, that you are a God who is loving, that you are a God who is powerful, and that you are a God who has promised to always be with us every single step of the way. And so God, whatever our insecurities have caused us to hold back, to shrink back and to step back on, God, I pray that tonight that we would have the courage to do the things that we've been too afraid to do because we're going to walk in confidence knowing that you are with us every single step of the way. So God, would you help us to have the courage to take the first step and then the step after that and the step after that. God, we love you and it's in your name we pray, amen.